Good morning, Grace Chapel. It's been a troubling week, hasn't it? But you know, in the middle of trouble, um, I always find that God snaps us back to reality, gives us little glimpses of light, like uh, reminders that he's still in control. Like um, next week, I get to baptize Rick Davis next week. And uh, it's awesome. So Rick, so we're thanking God for you <laughs> to shine a little bit of the light about what really matters. And uh, looking forward to doing that. Of course, we're not going to do it in here. Um, we're doing it after service, and uh, Rick's going to be there with his family, and uh, we're going to have a really good time. It's going to be awesome. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, um, we meet David, the little boy David, as the prophet Samuel uh, anoints him, and he's God's choice as the next king of Israel. Samuel had asked Jesse, uh, David's father to assemble all of his boys together to gather his sons and there were there were eight boys but uh, only seven of them were invited to the anointing party because David's dad Jesse uh, left David out he left them out in the fields tending sheep because he assumed that there's no way God's going to use this little guy who is a shepherd God never would choose a shepherd boy but the truth is that God chooses the least likely, doesn't he? I mean, he chose me, he chose many of you. Uh, he chooses the least likely people, he chooses the least likely moments in history and in our lives, and he uses them to magnify his strength, his control, and his sovereignty. Uh, after he was anointed, David was uh, phenomenal. I mean, we know all the true stories. You, you probably heard him in Sunday school, or, or you know of them, you, you saw the movie. Um, he slew Goliath. He uh, excelled and dominated in, in hand-to-hand combat. He slew hundreds and hundreds of men. Uh, and after David's victories, a new song hit the top of the charts in Israel. And the lyrics are found in 1 Samuel 18.7. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Jason, where's Jason? We should do that song next week. Maybe not. Um, when King Saul heard this song, um, singing this tune to David in the streets, he was jealous. He was enraged. And so he attacked David physically, and then he sent him fleeing for his life. God's next king, God's great warrior, became a fugitive. He was constantly on the run, and he ended up living in a cave. And you and I think we have it bad. David had been a rising star. He enjoyed all the freedoms that come with wealth and position. He was living life large. But he became a fleeing felon. And Saul's hit squads were hunting him down, constantly tracking him never giving him a moment's rest. Have you ever made plans, you yourself, have you ever made plans, set plans, organized plans, only to hit a detour? Have you ever done that? And if you haven't, you're not alive. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's just leaving home to go to work, or go to an appointment, go to the grocery store, to to go someplace you got to be, and the road is closed. Does that ever happen to you? And along with hundreds, it seems like, hundreds of other cars, you're trying to find your way weaving through this mess. 
Um, maybe you started saving money, and it's going to be over the long haul, and week after week, month after month, maybe even year after year, you've been setting aside some cash for, for something special, for something that you're anticipating, and then a sudden crisis comes into life, and those assets are all gone really quickly. Detour. Uh, maybe you repented to God because you were convicted about something about your character. You know it needed to change. You got on your knees before God and you asked for forgiveness. You repented and you changed your ways and you, you got busy the very next day and you got into his word and you're praying and you're doing all the right things and the evil one lays a landmine right in your path right at the beginning. On his detour, David was lonely David was despairing, he was confused, he was afflicted, he was in need of deliverance. But from that place, that place of desolation, David prayed Psalm 57. I just want to read verses 2 and 3. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. God fulfills His purpose for me, and I'm living in a cave he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. In, in that detour of, of desolation, David looked where? He looked to the past for his hope. He said, God, you've been faithful before. I know you'll be faithful again. And almost a thousand years later, the Apostle Paul would echo, did echo the very same sentiment in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. In the middle of his own tragic detour, Paul writes, He, speaking of God, He delivered us, us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So, how about you? How about you this morning? Do you, really, do you really trust God's faithfulness? Do you trust His faithfulness to deliver you again in the middle of whatever daily detour you're going through? Maybe you're in one right now. The great unknown awaits each of us every time we venture out into public. The great unknown awaited you and I as we drove our cars to come here to church today. You have no idea what's going to happen on the way, right? Masked faces populate public places. Isn't that fun? <laughs> We're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. <laughs> Restrictions hopefully one day will be lifted, but the coronavirus is here. It's not going anywhere. And there are risks each time you and I go out the door. With every choice we make, with every relationship we confide in, there are risks. So where do you look in the middle of this unexpected reality that we find ourselves today? Nobody planned for this. What shall we say to these things? Well, before we, or me, before I open my mouth, before we all open our mouths to answer that question, what shall we say to these things? Let's pray together 
to the God who controls it all. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we bow before you because you alone are worthy. You alone know. You know our deepest, darkest selves. You ordained that we would all sit here and be here worshiping you today. As we look into your word, wash us with the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we open our mouth, let's go and see what God has to say. And uh, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, I want to read to start us off. It's, it's like David, look to the ways God has delivered you in the past. He's brought you this far. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things, Paul asked. If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you and gave him up for me, how will he not also with him, with that son, graciously give us all things? What father wouldn't run to his kid's aid in their moment of distress? Whatever detours you and I are facing today, tribulation or distress, pandemic or persecution, we can have confidence that God is present with us. He delivered at the cross. Amen? Amen. And he will be faithful to deliver again and again and again. You can count on it. You may even find that he has given you and I gospel-sharing opportunities when we're in the middle of a detour. As a matter of fact, um, my personal belief on that is that God does give us gospel-sharing opportunities whenever we're in a detour, and that sometimes that's why, maybe most times, that's why there is a detour. And that brings me to this morning's focus. You thought that was a message? <laughs> Here it comes. No, that brings me to this morning's focus. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Is there anything else we really need to talk about? That God is still in control even when I fail. That God is still in control even when people around me fall. No doctrine can be more revolting to our natural, sin-obsessed human minds than the truth that God's got this, that God is in absolute control. He's sovereign. It just bugs people. Have you noticed? It drives them nuts. It rubs us the wrong way, like it did for our first parents, Adam and Eve. And it still does when things go very, very badly for any one of us. It's a huge debate even today amongst Christians, the sovereignty of God. What does that actually mean? There is nothing above him. There is nothing that escapes his will. Am I raising more questions than answering right now? But you see, it's, it's this daily spiritual battle that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ have. This daily spiritual battle we have with our still existent sin nature. That daily battle to take charge. That still rages on. And until Jesus comes back and we get those new, glorious bodies, do you want it now? Today? I want it now. I don't want to wait, but God says wait. Because he's sovereign. 
And until Jesus comes back and we get those, our human pride, see, this is about our human pride, uh, ever at battle, even in the most humble of us, loathes even the suggestion that God orders everything, that God controls everything, that God rules over everything, even the bad stuff. And that pride in each of us, it felled the most, the greatest, most glorious archangel, Satan. That, that, that pride, that arrogance dropped our first parents, Adam and Eve. And we're reminded constantly in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that the moment you and I think we can stand on our own, all by our lonesome, we better get ready to fall. Without complete submission from you and I to the, to the uh, authority of God, to, to the will of God, we will always fall down. And we will have a hard time understanding what's going on and swirling all around us. So let's take our short time of weekly worship together to continue to digest just a little bit of what the Bible tells us about the many facets of God's sovereignty. I think if we dwell here, um, this will be the best thing we can do for ourselves. We only have a few scriptures we can look at this morning, but just from these few scriptures, I believe we'll be moved. I believe we'll be amazed. I think we'll be better prepared for whatever God is destined for your life and for my life this afternoon. And we're definitely going to be prepared for our next study, going through the book of Daniel together, beginning next Sunday, because that is a book that just smacks of the sovereignty of God. We're going to get it over and over and over again. And one of my favorite places to go uh, when I meditate and I consider the fact that God is sovereign, that he controls everything, is the book of Job. That's where I go. Particularly near the end, uh, where Job after exhausting his own anguish over why has this happened to me? You ever ask that question? Yeah. And hearing from a few friends as to what they perceive to be true about how God works in life, and then being completely derailed by his own wife, God finally speaks. And it's in Job 38. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Listen to this. And then the Lord stepped up. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this? Did you love that? Like you're beat down as low as you can be, and God says, Who is this? That darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. You don't question me. I will question you, and you make it known to me if it's true. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And so whatever we think of ourselves, we're automatically doing this, right? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You know how this all works? Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Come on now, smart guy. Or who stretched the line upon it, you know, to do the measuring and to plummet. Or what, or, what were, or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you? Where was I when the angels sang at the moment of creation? 
I have this as one of my favorite portions of Scripture for, well, everything. <laughs> because it's so beautifully stated. Because it's so humbling in its effect on my life. It puts me in my place. So I can just shut my mouth and listen. And I'm sensing there are plenty of people in the United States of America today who could use that advice. Job can be a launching point for our everyday faith, what you and I have to encounter and deal with every day. It's a powerful faith builder. It gives us an important truth about God that affects our very belief in the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. It reveals to us the realization of why we need that gospel message of salvation. In the very first place, it gets us back to the beginning, back to square one, back to basics of why you and I are even here. And it comes directly from a sovereign God. I just love it. And then you move over into the New Testament, and Paul connects that sovereign God who just spoke, who is so far and so beyond any one of us here, and Paul connects God's sovereign position, that height that we can't even see, with his gracious provision of salvation for lost you and me. It's overwhelming just to consider that. And Paul connects this truth about God directly to our need for God. Specifically this morning, his righteousness. God's righteousness. Who are we? We are so below God, so unworthy of God, so not in control. Why? Because of our unrighteousness. An awareness for you and I that it's righteousness that is missing from our lives. It is through the whole entire Old Testament. That's one of the themes that is banged on the drum over and over. We're unrighteous. We're unworthy. And it's this missing righteousness that leaves, an, that leaves this uncrossable valley between me and a sovereign holy God. And it's this unattainable righteousness that leaves all of humanity scrambling for answers and entirely frustrated that why aren't things working? And here's one of the many ways Paul makes that connection. It's Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Do you know why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... In the gospel, the gospel, this is what's in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Whose righteousness is revealed in the gospel? Not mine, not yours, but God's. As it is written, Paul says, and he quotes from the Old Testament, the righteous shall live by faith. But without Jesus Christ, I'm not righteous. So I can't live by faith. But somehow, 
by the gracious act of an unapproachable God, it is possible for me, it is possible for you to be declared righteous, to be able to approach this sovereign, holy God, and then, on top of all that, to live this life by faith. It is possible. Our faith in, in a sovereign God, our trust in what He has done through us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, this faith, this trust, can only be experienced day to day by someone who is righteous. So, big question. Are you righteous? Are you righteous before this holy, sovereign God? Not in the eyes of your friends or your family, not in the eyes of people at work, not in your own eyes, but in the eyes of God. Are you? How do I get there? And you see, that's the most important question. And our answer is the most important response we can give to our culture today. This is so much more important than all the other stuff that's out there. While there are so many other things that seek to capture our attention, our energy, even our passions, the gospel for a believer in Jesus Christ is what matters most. The gospel matters most. And out of a gospel passion, just think of it, and you've seen it, and we've seen it here at Grace Chapel week after week, all the fruits of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit of God, come from someone who is righteous, who then can live by faith and then has the fruits of the Holy Spirit and will be to this country what it needs most. In 1 John, the Apostle John says in chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, we know, we know this, okay? So we, we, we're all supposed to know this. We know that everyone who has been born of God, are you born of God? Okay. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. How, how you doing? <laughs> Look at that. So we can actually be righteous and do the right thing when we are born again. And that birth is by God no other way. But he, he goes on to say, but he who was born of God, so this is speaking about Jesus Christ, the ultimate expression of complete righteousness in human form. Our example, the model. Jesus, uh, John says, protects him, those of us who are born again, and the evil one does not touch him. We know from other places in Scripture that this, this protection is because of Jesus' righteousness, not ours. We, we, we have been, it says in Scripture, immersed into Jesus. That's why we're protected. And John says, we know that we are from God. We know this, right? We know that we are from God. And the whole world, though, it lies in the power of the evil one. Don't be surprised. Never be shocked. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding about all this. 
Understanding about what? So that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. Without the sovereign God's gracious gift of understanding, I'm a fool. Now some of you may, on the side, say, Pete, sometimes you're a fool anyway. You could say that, and we probably all fall into that. But without this gracious gift of understanding, we are at a loss of knowing the truth, to, to receiving what really matters. And John ends it, I love how John ends this, past, this, this portion. He, this is Jesus, he is the true God and eternal life. There are those who say that in the New Testament, it never says that Jesus is God. <laughs> you haven't read this. He is the true God. And eternal life. Little children, look at this. Keep yourself from idols. Why throw that in here? Idols. They seem to be the go-to when things get hard. Even for Christians. Jesus, as we read earlier, said that he would bring us understanding about all this. In order for us to be declared righteous. Because without that, we're, we're done. And John said that we would be placed in him to protect us from the evil one. So, debt canceled, saved from the coming judgment where, where everything that is unrighteous is going to be sentenced. I'm, I'm not going there. Awesome. And God also gave us a guarantee of this promise with, with the giving of his Holy Spirit that indwells every one of us that knows Jesus Christ as Savior, that Holy Spirit is now our means of understanding all these mysteries and all the complications that are going on in life and gets us down to what really matters. And Jesus explained what really matters. He explained what was really happening and really going on to his disciples at the Last Supper as they were all gathered together. It's in John 15, verses 16 and 17 is what I want to share with you today. Jesus tells them as they're having the Passover together, you did not choose me. I know there's lots of them thought maybe they had, and maybe there's a lot of us here today who might think, I chose God. Well, you didn't. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Surprise. And not only that, but I appointed you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's what we're supposed to be doing today. Bearing fruit. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, but it can't have it. It cannot obtain it. Try as hard as it can, it cannot live it without Jesus. That's why we're here, to tell the world about Jesus, the Son of God. When he says so, it happens. He's sovereign. 
And this wasn't just an historical incident, this Last Supper. It was about those special disciples who would soon be 11 um, apostles. An apostle means a sent one. They're going to be sent out. This is about you and me. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 1, 3, and 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed who? Us. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, in him, before the foundation of the world, God knew me before time was even created. Mind-boggling. In love, he predestined us for adoption into his family, to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ. The bad news, we are all born into a family at birth. It's a family that is destined for destruction, and its father is Satan. Bad news. Good news. God changed our genealogy. Like he took out an oration, he went, no, family tree's not, it's going to go over here now. And he put us under a different family tree because he's sovereign, because he's in control, because he loved us that much. And he put me in a family tree, and the top of that tree has a different family name, and it is the name above all names, and it is the name Jesus. Paul says he did this according to the purpose of his will. That's the will of God. Do any of us have a problem with that? I don't. Because the reality is, you know, it had to be according to God's will because as much as I love my salvation now, now that I, God has given it to me, I don't think I ever really wanted it. Really, to be honest. I desire to run my life my way. And I still fight that. Until God showed me the perfect way. And Paul ends, To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This, this, this can be often very hard to comprehend, can't it? To, to, to take in. It's, it's so big. It's so sovereign with my feeble mind. Oh, don't get me wrong. I believe it. I believe it to death. But sometimes when life happens, it can be very difficult to apply. And God agrees with that assessment, by the way, in, for all of us. In Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, way higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But in all honesty, we do question God, don't we? Can we be honest? This is church. God sees your heart. Are there times when you question God when stuff happens? You question God. You, you, might, you might question your faith from time to time. We, we do this. We still imagine that with some things, we have some semblance of control. And we hold on tight. At his own trial, Jesus corrected the, the Roman governor Pilate on this. John 19, verse 10. So Pilate said to him, 
won't you speak to me? Because Jesus wasn't saying anything. He was quiet at his trial. And Pilate said, won't, won't you speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Even our salvation falls under the authority of God. And Scripture affirms that as the world swirls, especially this last week around us, that there is a divine sovereignty, but it also affirms that there is a human responsibility. And in these troubling days, you and I must accept both sides of that truth. We can't just sit back. Though we may not always understand how, how they correspond to one another, it's, it's vast, it's a mystery, it's, it's huge. But we, the people, are responsible for what we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether times are good or whether times are bad. We are responsible for how we respond with the gospel of Jesus Christ in every situation or with, what, with whatever light God grants to us to see. That's really clear if you want to jot this down. It's Romans 2, verses 19 through 20. How both of these realities um, can be true simultaneously can't be understood by our human mind, although theologians for hundreds of years have written books about it. But it's only known by God. For us, it is by faith a faith which our gracious, loving, heavenly Father has given to each of us who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. And I feel that when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we as a, as a people, we as a church family need to respond. We're going to respond in prayer right now. And then we're going to respond in song. And then I'm going to return up here to, to close the message right after. So would you stand with me as we pray? And the, our worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. As we raise our voices and those words come from our hearts, not just our mouths. Our God and Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, because you alone are worthy of our praise, of our voices, of our hearts. And Lord, we're reminded today from your word that you, you have all this, but we are from day to day, from time to time, shaken in our faith. And we thank you now as we praise you for the reminders that snap us back onto the path that you've destined for us to walk in. So we sing to you now in Jesus' name, because of Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, go ahead and have a seat. These truths that we've been reading from God's Word about God being in complete control in every nook and cranny of our very, very short-lived lives are hard for our human mind to embrace. I've said that before, but, you know, impossible, really. Apart from the enlightenment provided by the Holy Spirit of God, we who know God through Jesus Christ would still be creating our own ideas about how life works 
like the rest of the world is today, trying to figure things out. You know, be patient. Tomorrow will be better. Really? <laughs> is that how it works for you? Are you certain of that? Or how about time heals all wounds? Maybe a little, but never completely. Just do the best you can and your afterlife will all work out. Don't worry about it. A deceptive lie. We control our destiny by what we do today, almost in every movie I see. No, we don't. Apart from the grace of God, we have no control. If you work hard enough, all your dreams can come true. Well, maybe for one out of every one million athletes, that might happen. A Christian blogger I read, I do read, from time to time was devastated by the sudden death of his college-date son in November 2020. As if 2020 wasn't bad enough. His son Nick just collapsed at college while hanging out with some friends at school and then died. Never regained consciousness. Let me read to you some of his thoughts about the sovereignty of God. He wrote these on January 4th, 2021. Death is the great interrupter. Death is the great interrupter because far more often than not, it strikes when it's least expected. When death comes, it invariably interrupts plans, dreams, projects, and goals. One of my sur surreal moments from the last year is going into Nick's dorm room a couple of days after his death. It gave every indication that he had expected to return. Books were laid waiting on his desk in preparation for final exams. Hebrew vocab was jotted all over his whiteboard in preparation for exams. Spreadsheets full of guest lists were opened on his computer in preparation for his upcoming wedding. And it wasn't just his life that was so suddenly and significantly interrupted. On November 2nd, I too was full of plans. My mind was full of the beginning of things, but by November 4th, those things too had been set aside and nearly forgotten. What seemed so urgent and so important and so interesting the day before seemed nearly irrelevant the day after. It's taken a long time to begin to make headway against the mental and emotional fog that goes with so great a trauma, I would never have believed how disruptive it could be to lose a child. I would never have known the, the, the degree to which it affects mind, body, and soul. Yet, as I keep reminding myself, life must be lived. Nick's race is complete, but mine continues. It doesn't close out my story, but I'm convinced it opens a new chapter to it. I have accepted this suffering as something God has given me in sacred trust. Like talents, like time, like money, and everything else that God sovereignly bestows on us, I believe it can be stewarded faithfully or poorly. It's my intention to steward it well. For I am convinced I'm responsible for it and accountable in it. It's my intention to be a faithful steward of this divine providence. 
this divine mystery, this divine gift. It's my longing to bow under it, to be shaped by it, to grow through it, and by God's grace to follow it on to new love and better service. That's a melding of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. You know, as I read some of his blogs about his son's passing into God's glory, I had to choke back the tears. And I had to ask myself, how solid is my trust in my sovereign God? So let's be determined, individually as followers of Jesus Christ and as a church family, with that trust question. And have it at the forefront of our thinking as we go about our doing today and through the rest of the week.